1: Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Helen. I'm Janet. And I'm Mel.
0: Welcome to Office Hours with ABG. Woo! Hello. We posted a call out on our Instagram stories, and you all submitted your questions for us. We got some questions that were specific to each of us individually, and also questions uh, for all of us as a group. So today, we're going to go through and answer some of those questions for you. Let's get started. Yeah, so kind of
2: think of this as, you know, you're in college, you're in school, where you're like, you're, you know, your teacher assistants, you know, that you're going through, you're going to after class for extra credit. So we appreciate you asking these questions. So the first question will go to T.A. Janet and the question is how do you get used to enjoying doing things independently?
0: This is a great question. Um, As you know I have spent a lot of my adult life single and so I have really uh, kind of become more accustomed to doing things independently than I am with a partner. Hmm. Uh, For as a tip for anyone who is Wanting to um, get more comfortable with um, a sense of independence, I would say to first identify activities that you enjoy doing. And then try to do them alone. Mm. So for example, if you're if you really like nature, you're an active person, start going on runs or walks like by yourself. And that could be a good time to also listen to podcasts or listen to music. Um, another example is if you're a big foodie, say you love Thai food. Go and take yourself out to a restaurant and treat yourself to a solo meal. Or maybe you love movies. Go Mm. and challenge yourself to watch a movie by yourself. I know that going out in public places alone can be kind of intimidating, but honestly, once you break the ice and just do it like a couple of times, it gets so much easier and most of the time people are so focused on their own activities or their own group they're not even looking at you or paying attention to you so there's nothing to kind of feel embarrassed about um, another example if you're for those that might want to get a little more advanced is maybe to try to take a trip by yourself mm. um, you know if an international trip or weeks long feels intimidating start off with just a weekend away or maybe just one night away by yourself you know drive to the next city and book a hotel room and and learn to just kind of be in your own company a little bit at a time
1: what is the most challenging thing that you've done independently of the things that you've listed
0: of the things I've listed I would say probably traveling by myself um I went I went to London and Berlin alone uh for about 10 days and I realized Mm. that when it comes to longer trips I I prefer company Mm. (laughs) so I think that would be um of the yeah same same girl, same. <laughs> I was like, 10 days is a pretty long time.
1: 10 days is a long time, yeah. I remember when I was in Spain and then the first time I just like went to a restaurant to eat by myself, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so uncomfortable. It was like mm. on a Friday and everyone had friends <laughs> and was like sitting together and drinking and eating And here. I was like, can I get a beer? And it's like a huge beer that like, ends up on my table. I'm just eating by myself. And I realized that Yeah, no one really cares. Sure, you might get some eyes, probably more so because I was Asian, and they're like, oh, Asian girl eating by herself. But the people who are working there, they ended up giving me more free food because they were like, oh, you might need a little extra. I don't know. They were just "Just being extra nice to me. So after a while, I realized, like, there's a reason the bar is there, too. You sit at the bar, and it's very much easy to just be by yourself eating there without feeling like you have you're like facing an empty chair or something. So. Yeah. Always go for bar seating.
0: Bar seating is great and also like I mean I know we don't like to be on our phones, but bring you, you know you have your phone or maybe a book mm-hmm. like if you if it helps to kind of feel like you have another activity to focus on. Um yeah. You know, definitely. I brought a journal. I've never journaled yeah, in a bar, journal- but like
1: that's a whole <laughs> other experience when you have like
0: EDM music behind you and you're just journaling. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read that journal entry. <laughs> I'm at a bar. Music's really loud. <laughs> The next question is for Helen. Helen, what are some tips on picking up corporate language more Mm. easily? Mm -hmm. I
1: remember when I was a staff and my first year working in a corporate job, someone said to me, how much is this going to move the needle? (laughs) And in my head, I just kept thinking about a moving (laughs) needle. (laughs) (laughs) because i'm like a visual person Person, so (laughs) i just imagined this like really tiny needle moving back and forth and i was just trying to figure out like what did they were they referring Mm. to and i was like what do you mean and then they explained that it meant how much would it actually do you ladies know what this one means
2: How much, how much like impact?
1: Yeah. So basically like how much would it change an outcome to like a Mm -hmm. noticeable degree? Right. And I was like, Oh, well, why the fuck didn't you say that? (laughs) I feel like a lot of corporate jargon that people learn, it's just like to fit in with the culture. I still can't really tell if it's actually efficient and helpful Mm -hmm. language Mm -hmm. in the office. Um, But I think it just takes time and lots of Googling, honestly, and practice. Just try using it yourself. And I wanted to share some of the ones that I heard a lot in Mm -hmm. my office. Let's not boil the ocean with this one. What? Mel's face.
0: (laughs) I've heard that one. What do you
1: you think that one means, Mel?
2: Let's not uh, heat up the project or uh, (laughs) let's not work too hard on something. I don't know
1: yeah basically it's like let's not put in more resources into figuring this problem out than we need to It's kind of like a backhanded way of just like stop putting in so much effort it's all gonna go to waste it's kind of like mm-hmm. how I interpreted that one um, and then another one I'm sure you ladies heard of is low hanging fruit I, that was used a lot hmm.
2: I actually never heard of that one until YouTube brought it up in the podcast but oh, I, I yes. imagine some not very pleasing visuals with that one
0: are you thinking of body parts instead of fruit? <laughs>
2: I just think of some dangling fruit. I'll just say that.
1: (laughs) Wait, what does that mean? Yes. It means um, little effort or easy to accomplish tasks. So something that is easy to accomplish is like the most simple thing to sort of address immediately.
0: Yeah, like low-hanging fruit is the easiest to pick.
1: Yeah. Uh... (laughs) And then um, getting your ducks in a row. Have you heard of that one before?
2: Like make sure everything's buttoned up, like lined up.
1: Yeah. So it means getting everything organized. And this actually originated from bowling. Before there was a machine to set the pins up automatically, the bowler would have to get their ducks in a row before throwing a ball down the lane. So now you know what it means. Getting everything organized beforehand. Getting your ducks in a row. Let's start using that one. Mm. Anyway, there's just, like, there's so much more, obviously, if you want to pick up on corporate jargon. You just have to start using it in your day-to-day and challenging yourself, too.
2: I want to I like, hear
0: you speak in corporate jargon now. Do you have one um, term that you used most often? Mm. I feel like a, a very simple one is just circle
1: back. Mm. And I didn't know what that meant in the beginning. Like, I'll circle back with you later. Like, come back to you and talk to you about it later. Yeah. Um, or, like, even, like, put a pin in it mm. basically just to like pause it for now um, or like ping, ping me. I remember the first yeah. time someone said that I was like, my mom's name is ping. so I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Say what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, but now I say it all the time.
2: You, I actually say, I, I, I tell them, I actually even text, I'll ping you in a bit. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah.
1: See, we all speak corporate jargon too. We don't even know it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next question here is for Mel. Before moving to LA, did you feel like you had the responsibility as a daughter to stay close to home? Well, it's a serious question. To be completely honest, I did not feel this responsibility
2: at all. And I don't know what that says about me as a daughter, but it's because I don't remember my mom actually pushing me or making me feel guilt for wanting to leave at all. It's probably because I did spend two years back at home for community college. I lived at home. And that's when my mom and I actually got really close when I was living at home. And so by the time it was time for me to transfer, I did choose a college in Southern California when I'm from North NorCal. So I think that distance in college and when I moved to L.A. was kind of like just – she got used to that feeling. Um, more than anything, she's more concerned about finances for me. But I do think it's actually very different for my little brother compared to me because he is the baby of the family, the last one to leave home. And I could have sworn – now I'm trying to remember – Maybe I forget. I think my mom cried when my brother dropped off my brother. Or she cried for me. I don't know. She she cried definitely for oh. one of us when she dropped us off at college. But I do feel like since my brother moved back home right after college, she there's definitely an attachment that I personally see that my mom has to my little brother. And she kind of I could tell she doesn't want him to leave the Bay Area as much. Versus for me, she's used to me being away from home. So personally i don't feel their responsibility but it's also because my mom didn't really push me when i was younger so it could be very different depending on your parent
1: abm hello <laughs> i know she's always listening so gotta give her a quick shout out she's and so
0: hello hello to brandon too your brother okay uh, <laughs> does he listen so side note sometimes they,
2: side note they may not make on the podcast they both don't actually ever listen to the podcast oh, <laughs> they just whoops. they just
1: like our stuff all the time Okay, the next question here is for Janet. Fellow UX designer, where were you at in your UX career right before you left to do ABG full-time?
0: Mm. Ooh. Yeah, I'm wondering if this question is being asked because um, maybe this listener is has a passion project that they're thinking about transitioning into and going full-time on. Um, I will say for me, I was about four, maybe going on five years into my UX career. And that was coming in as a career transitioner. So meaning I didn't start like super entry-level right out of college as a UX designer. Um, and why I felt like it was a comfortable time for me to take a chance and to leave and to try something else was that at that point, within those four to five years, I had um, a couple of different experiences. One was a pretty solid stint at a tech company for a couple of years consecutively, and at that place, I was able to, one, develop pretty substantial experience in one industry. So the company I worked at was in media entertainment consumption and kind of like social, so if you have – you know, more significant, like a year or two experience in one particular industry, it makes you valuable to other companies in that same industry. The second was that I was um, promoted at least one time within one job. So that demonstrates to any employer that you are able to advance and then third, I had developed relationships with higher-ups at the job who I knew would be good references. So having those three things going into um, you know my own job made me feel like I would be employable if I wanted to go back to UX design. The other thing that's interesting for maybe like that I've seen is more popular with like tech and um, some creative industries is that um, agencies that provide services to clients will oftentimes like hire contract jobs, which tend to be more numerous um, and maybe a little Like because they're more frequently hiring, then um, it might be a nice alternative if it's harder to get like a full time job right away. And because I also had a a bit of experience working in agencies, I felt that if I needed to, I could also be um, marketable for a contract work as an option. So I would think about that for you, like if you're a fellow UX designer, um, just making sure that you have Some of those experiences underneath your belt enough that when you try to return to the market, even if you're a couple of years out, uh, you'll have experiences um, and contacts that will make you employable.
2: Those are very good tips, Jay.
0: Yes. Next one's for Helen. How do you deal with friends that project
1: jealousy onto you? Um, I've definitely been on the receiving end of this before, and it's not a good feeling. I think when I was younger and this used to happen, I would feel personally attacked and just completely put my walls up against this quote-unquote friend. Like, I still remember when I was playing volleyball at the varsity level, and I became a fairly young starter on the team, and... I might've been like a freshman or a sophomore, but I feel like I got a lot of hate from some of the older girls to the point where they would be laughing behind my back too when I messed up on something. And I remember just becoming very robotic and quiet and I would just try and stay out of everyone's way and just work on my game and was very avoidant um, and uncomfortable. But now when something like that happens, I realize it's coming from a place of their own insecurity. Whoever is projecting their jealousy onto me, like when I can feel that a friend is not happy for my success in certain ways, I, I mean, I get sad because of course I want the validation and excitement from friends, but I realize that it's probably coming from a place of their own insecurity. Like if they are a real friend, why wouldn't they be happy for me if they weren't thinking to themselves, like if they aren't projecting their own insecurities. So I honestly don't feel like I let it affect me that much anymore because I know it's not me, it's them. And if anything, as a good friend, I just need to shower them with more love and not be avoidant like I used to be. Mm. Because even if they're not saying that they need more love in those moments, that's just probably what they need. So just, I would say, just try and shift your perspective when this happens to you. And it's not just jealousy, it's anything, right? So whenever someone's projecting anything negative onto you, know that it's mostly them and probably not so much you. So that's how I've been able to, I guess, deal with it. Still not the most comfortable situation, but um, I've been able to shift my perspective that way. And I would also just say that if this person continues to project jealousy onto you and you feel like it's just becoming a toxic relationship and maybe you've confronted them and talked to them about it and you're still feeling not fully supported by this friend, then maybe it's just time to let them go.
0: Hmm. I really love that advice of turning it around and starting to see the other person's perspective and realizing that it's coming from a place um it's about them more than it is about you and then and having that kind of gives you the control to do something about it right like you can proactively um show them more love so that's really good advice yeah
1: i can't see little freshman helen playing volleyball doing the same because i was it's scared. hard <laughs> <laughs> but. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah usually it's but. like scary or it's like confrontational yeah. but i think that truly is a, a good way to um to solve that problem yeah the next question is for mel What is the most important thing that people should know and understand in order to excel in social media? That is a very
2: hard question to answer. Okay, I will say I think you need to understand one is the goal of creating the different social media channels. Um, For example, like if you're a brand, you're gonna probably have an Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but understand the goals of each platform because each one has a purpose. And two, another thing for you to understand is, depending on your brand, product, or content, you're going to be pushing out or going to be marketing things very differently. For example, I love marketing content based on like stuff, like content, I guess. Like for example, I ABG, I get to push out uh, marketing on like our episodes. You know, at Jubilee, we had videos that came out every week, so. That for me is really exciting and fun, but I would struggle a bit more if I was running social media for like, let's say a tech company. Like if I was like trying to push out like for like, I don't know, like an app, I'd be a very different ball game for me. So it really is just very different depending on your, you know, the brand, the product. Um, but again, always understand your goal and the brand. It really plays a huge, like that is like your why when it comes to social media. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think it's okay to pivot when something isn't working. The lo- the social landscape is constantly changing and evolving. Like three years ago, there was no TikTok. There was like all like reels, all these things didn't exist. So the things you thought were working initially are going to change because the landscape is constantly changing and know that it's okay. I don't feel like you're doing anything wrong. Just kind of like learn about it, pick it up and know just to keep on moving. Such great
0: advice. I have one for you, Mel, too. <laughs> Yeah, what what if the product is you? What tips do you have for marketing yourself?
2: Ooh, so if it's you, I would ask create a list of things that you really like and the things that you really enjoy um and your personality traits that maybe you feel very strongly about that you feel very genuine to who you are as a person like Mm -hmm. I think with social like now that we're seeing especially is that people love unfiltered content and unfiltered also means very genuine like who are you as a person you know we're all very different and unique in our own ways so use your own social media channel to really showcase that you know I think that is your chance to show these little like funny nuances about who you are like even looking at the three of us we're very different like janet's really more into wellness she does all the yoga stuff you know helen is like you know she's she's a mob now she's like she shares knowledge about being a mob but she's also very active and she has this background and like not she's showing volleyball content you know for me i'm very into korean media so the things that we're interested in are also very vast and different but the things it also depends on when you want to showcase so those are some things i think about. Is that a good answer?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, it's like understanding your personal brand, right? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Great, great tips.
1: I don't know about you, but it feels like a lot of my friends are now getting on that baby train! If you have a friend who is also expecting or have little ones still in diapers, I always recommend Pampers Swathers. With Pampers Swathers, you can also rest assured that this diaper will prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Swathers has dual-leak guard barriers at the legs to help protect where leaks happen most, and they have a blowout barrier, which is an innovative back pocket built into the diaper to help prevent those messy leaks up the back. Did you know that on average, babies will use up to 8,000 plus diapers before becoming potty trained? That is a lot! That's why Pampers Diaper Stash is the hottest baby gift for 2024. So give a gift to a loved one that says, we see you and we've got you. Pampers Diaper Stash is an online diaper fund that all parents with little ones will love. You can organize friends and family to contribute to a group gift of an online stockpile that never has to run out. Pampers Diaper Stash is great because it takes the guesswork out of choosing what size and how many diapers to gift. It's so easy to do and it's the gift that always fits.
2: All right, Janet, have you heard of FIRE? And I'm not saying the song by
0: BTS. <laughs> and have you thought of retiring early? I have heard of FIRE. Unfortunately, not the song by BTS either. I Now I want to listen to that song. <laughs> That's a good song. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it is a movement that um, I actually only heard about it maybe like, I want to say like two to three years ago, like right before the pandemic. Um, But I guess apparently when I learned about it, it had been going on for a while and it's people who are trying to basically, you know, work at high paying jobs and being very frugal in their lifestyle and in an attempt to save a lot of money and then be able to retire early. Um, I would say that for me, in the beginning of my career, I was so focused on like looking for the right career and looking for the right job and the right profession. I wasn't really thinking at all about retirement. Um, But once I got to a place where, you know, by the time I said I landed within like um, user experience design, I really had come to terms with the fact that I may not get my entire sense of fulfillment from helping people or making the world a better place from my profession. And when I was able to kind of separate career and profession with the thing that provides me financial stability and also the thing that I do that challenges me intellectually and stuff, um, the goal became then to figure out how to have the option to not have to work as soon as possible. So I would say like that's kind of, that was the goal that I had before you know, going full-time into ABG. And now because I see kind of the blend of my work being something that I do personally find very fulfilling and I'm also able to support myself financially, my new goal is to become financially independent as early as possible, but then also to not, to not stop working so I think what I've observed from like my dad and um like people of my parents generation is that a lot of them actually really love their work and when they stop working they get very bored and disengaged Mm -hmm. so I think yeah my goal now is to have to be financially independent yes but not to retire early if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. for you ladies, have you, what are have you ever thought about retirement and like, I feel like it, nowadays it's less
1: so about like working so hard until you're like 65 or whatever, and then retiring mm-hmm. and then enjoying your life. It's like finding moments now where you can enjoy your job and feel like you've somewhat at least sparingly have retired so that you can mm-hmm. travel, you can have your vacation time, you can actually bifurcate time for yourself in like a retirement sense. And it's like merging the two now. So I think similar Mm. to you, Jay, like it would have been nice if I was like done by 40 and, you know, can just not work for the rest of my life. But I I, I can't see myself just like at home and not working on something I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you're really passionate about something like more often than not, that can become something that is monetary and a job Mm. for you. Right. Mm-hmm. So that you're not like completely retired. So I think along the same lines of what you were saying, Jay, it'd be nice to be financially independent, to be able to just not ever have to worry about money, but also probably not retire early and mm-hmm. just focus on things that we're very passionate about that. It doesn't feel like work, but it still is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I like the word you use, bifurcate. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that Buy don't understand. It's that corporate um, jargon. <laughs> yeah. For the listeners there that I don't know that what that means including myself
1: <laughs> can you get yeah, what does bifurcate mean actually really quickly basically like being able to separate two things or multiple things
2: got it so um damn I can't use that word in my follow-up <laughs> answer but I also I, I do talk about retirement with my mom a lot because then she, we we're talking about it internally with our family like what does retirement look like for her and she has shared with me that like she has some friends that retired but they go back out of retirement because they're so bored and so they start yeah, working too. like part time, part time at the, at their job and stuff. So I, don't know, I, I could see when my mom works, she's actually like, she found the right balance in her job where she's like, I'm not working so crazy, but I enjoy my, 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 my coworkers, I enjoy my job and she wouldn't mind staying there a little bit longer. So I think for me, like that's ideal for me as well. It's like, if I can find a job that's not like, but as I get older, can it actually help balance my lifestyle out? I, I, I would, if
0: it can balance the lifestyle I have when I'm older, I would stay at a job too. The next question is for Helen. Helen, when buying a house, how do you decide whether to choose a fixer-upper or a brand new home? Yeah, so last year when we
1: were in the market for home buying, we were 100% all into buying a brand new turnkey home, which also I didn't know what the word turnkey meant until I was in the housing market. Let's go basically a brand new house, one that was contemporary, had all the cool appliances and everything that we need. And we had looked for a couple of months, maybe two months, but the housing market was already so crazy at the beginning of last year, especially for the turnkey homes. We literally would have less than a week from open house date to put in an offer every single time. It'd be off the market so quick and everyone was, and I think still is, bidding like at least five percent above asking price, which could be in the tens of thousands of dollars, which is crazy. So I distinctly remember saying to Philip, what if we start looking at some fixer uppers? And he straight up was just like, nope, there's no way we don't have any free time to do that. And then we talked to our real estate agent and friend, Mike, about it. And he was like, let me just start expanding your search a little bit so you can just, t- just take a look. I feel like they're always like, let's just take a look. Let's take a look, you never know, right? And so we did. And literally two weeks into looking at fixer upper homes, we landed on the house that we live in now. The neighborhood was perfect. The fact that there was a lot of privacy was also very ideal for us. And it was just like a straight up 1950. 56 i think home that had a pink cement tub and this like shower that was so small it looked like a freaking coffin and like this dookie colored brown painted beam <sighs> in our living room and it was so dark in there and i was just like every time i walked in there i was like i do not want to live here but now it's like so bright and like sunshiny in our living room because we changed all of the colors to white we redid our entire house and now it's like the perfect home for us um so a few things that I would share for you to consider if you do end up buying a fixer upper is that yes, your down payment might be lower because obviously if you're buying a fixer upper, you're trying to spend a little less money, right? But make sure that you have enough liquid, meaning in cash, to pay for the renovations. It's like sure, sure you can take out a loan for that if you need to, but just know that if you plan on renovating your entire house, it could easily be over 100,000 to 150,000 plus in cash for all of the labor and materials. And that's something that I didn't really plan ahead for as meticulously as I would have liked. But honestly, that, that's just where some of your down payment that you save on is going to go. Um, so note that if you do want to save money on the down payment, just know that if you're going to renovate right away, it'd be better to have the cash up front so you're not taking out another loan for that.
2: I feel like when you're going to the home buying process, I really felt like I was like watching a real-life version of House Hunters, which I love. <laughs> on HETV, because I still remember when like you showed us this Perfect turnkey home that you loved. I was like, "Oh my god, this is so gorgeous!" And then you guys went over to the fixer uppers, and you're like, "You're." You texted me, and Jen. You're like, "Oh my god, look at this like Neapolitan carpet that this place has." Because one, yeah. the rooms are so different, and it's crazy to think that this is actually the house you live in now. Yeah, yeah it was
0: so gross. Yeah, I thought it was really fun that you and Phil had uh, your friends over before you guys did the demolition, and we did like a party where we just drew on the walls with markers and sharpies and everything. Oh, yeah, um, so that was fun. a you Yeah, I feel like that was like a really great way to kind of like mark the transition from this is the home that it was and now we're going to renovate. Yeah, that was Mm -hmm. fun. I still saved some pieces from there. That was fun.
1: So now this next question is for Mel. What are your favorite snacks for a long day of work when you're on the go all day too?
2: I got this from Janet. I always have a box of Trader Joe's, like, a snack bar. Like, I don't know, just, like, their um, granola bars. Like, we have their chia seeds one. Right now, I'm having their, like, protein chocolate peanut butter one. I just think when, like, you're so busy, just having a snack, having a granola bar in your bag is always very helpful because you just don't know what sometimes, like, I feel like our day-to-day changes every day. Mm -hmm. So
0: that is my go-to snack. The new one, Mel, that I've tried that you might want to try from Trader Joe's is it's, like, a date and peanut. Bar, oh. so that one is like the new one. Also, trail mix is a good one to have in your. I actually I'm keep not a trail fan mix of... in my car. Really? Oh, you don't like? I don't mix?
2: like. I don't like trail. I think it's just. It just for me, it's not enough substance. Substance. Really? It's. I feel like it's very because it's nuts. <laughs> it's oh, I, I'm, I'm. I'm. not a nut girl. Like, I don't. I don't uh, like nuts. Okay. Are you allergic? No. I just. I, I like. I like. I like it in sandwiches, like a peanut uh, butter, or whatever, or a salad. But I'm not like. Let me put this nut in my mouth you don't do that (laughs) what
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. low-hanging fruit Alright, so for this next part, these are ABG questions, which are questions for all three of us
0: to answer. First one, what are your holy grail skin products? Okay, so when it comes to skin products, skincare, I use um, a combination, I guess, of what you could call, like, high-end, more expensive products and some, like, super um, cheap, like, drugstore products. In, in terms of the more expensive side, um, Shiseido is a brand that I've been using for a very long time just because it was the one that my mom chose that she used when I was growing up and when I first started getting into skincare um, or like as a teenager, that was a brand that she really kind of like pushed on me. Uh, in terms of like on the lower end, that's like you could go to any drugstore and get, I love St. Ives Apricot Face Scrub. There's something Mm -hmm. about, like, they have those little, it has those little, like, they're not beads, beads, they're, they're, but they, it's like textured something like beads, but I think it actually like disintegrates versus beads, sometimes they don't, Mm. Um, and it smells delicious, and it's just really, it feels like you get a really good clean. Um, The other thing that I will always wear now, especially that I'm like in my late 30s, is sunscreen, and so Mm. my two favorite are Shiseido's Clear Sunscreen Stick, SPF 50, Um, it's just like so, so easy to apply because it comes in a stick and it's clear. And then Supergoop Unseen Formula SPF 40. So those are my go-tos. How about you, Mel? Uh, those are great, Jay. Uh, I
2: will say, and I think Helen probably would say the same thing, uh, Sun and Park Beauty Water is as my toner. I love it. I don't know. I can't. I can't seem to separate from that one. Um, I also always have this. Um, I have this like makeup cleansing milk from Biore that I always buy when I'm in Taiwan, and I usually like have a bottle that lasts me until I go back next time. I use it as um, so. I use a cleansing balm to take off my makeup, but it's like a double cleanse that to make sure all the makeup is removed. So it removes my makeup and it has like this nice smell. And I just it's like a first my first cleanser. Um, I really love Crave Beauties products. I feel they're very like well produced i just really trust leah's like branding and her like thought process behind all her products so all my skincare products from my, like my face cleanser to my moisturizer to my um to my exfoliant is actually from crave um but yeah those are some things and i also now holy grail is a sunblock. so i use i think it's called anessa or Anisa. it's this gold bottle it's like a powdery sunblock um, texture that I really like. I don't like sticky. I don't like sticky, oily sunblock. It's a, it's like a baby powder kind of formula that I really like. So those are my Mm -hmm. holy grail. How about you, Helen?
1: Um, definitely and Park agreed that toner is amazing. And that is something that I always have on hand. I used to also use SK2's essence for like many, many years. And that has been a holy grail product for me. Um, but I've been trying out something new lately with my postpartum skin. I've been using cores and have been liking them a lot. I use their cleanser and um, afterwards I put on oil and I've never used oil before because my skin is more on the oily side. So I always thought to myself like, why would I mix oil with oil? I'll be hella greasy, (laughs) but it actually doesn't make me oilier and I, can actually wear it under makeup too which is pretty awesome Mm. so I've been using their face wash oil and lotion for now and have been getting good results very minimal breakouts my skin is very acne prone so that's been a nice change and I always wonder I, I feel like with skin products like you can't can't ever tell. Is it because of your diet? Is because right, you're drinking right. more water? Is it because of the products you're using? But right now I've been using cores and it's been working well for me, but I also feel like I'm getting further from pregnancy, postpartum, mm-hmm. whatever stage, and maybe I'm just, my skin's regulating. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to tell. Um, mm-hmm. But I've also been using Skin Ink's light therapy device a few times a week and I think that actually might be helping to reduce some wrinkles because of it or maybe it's the core stuff or maybe it's the, the <laughs> diet I don't freaking know but I've been doing that um, a couple times a week too oh. uh, and obviously eye cream SPF is very important too.
2: I literally google skin ink and I just get this like mask mask. Maybe something different.
1: Yeah, it's it's either in a mask form, or it, mine is more of like a handheld thing that has the the light therapy, and you mm. can use different colors for like blue is calming, I think oh, red yeah. or purples for like wrinkles, and um, yeah, it's kind of like how oh, cool. the sun is damaging for your mm-hmm. skin, the UV rays from the sun, but then these lights, these this light is good for your skin for different purposes.
2: That's so cool. Okay, cool. Notice cool
0: light therapy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right, ladies. second question is, what are a couple
1: things y'all do to stay in touch with your Asian roots or family history? Um, I would say just asking more questions. I feel like as a kid, I never wanted to ask questions about my family or history. I never cared. There was no interest there. Every time my mom told a story, I'd be like, all right, cool. <laughs> like, what am I eating for lunch later? Mm-hmm. And now that I have my own child and the older generation is just getting older, I want my child to just know everything that there is to know about our family. And so other than the Chinese celebrations that we hold annually, like Lunar New Year, Mid-Autumn F- Moon Festival, the Lantern Festival, and learning all the traditions around those, I've been recording conversations without her consent <laughs> with my grandma. <laughs> I feel like so much of our family's stories are going to be passed down through Hairsay. And mm-hmm. I want to remember it straight from the older generation. So For those of you whose grandparents are still around, take this moment to really make an effort to ask them about where they grew up, how they grew up, what advice they would give you. Things that you'll want to share with your kids in the future. And just don't take their time here on this earth for granted either. Um, Like, do it now. (laughs) Because I think it's it's
0: something that you'll want to keep for later on. Yeah, I, I love that advice. Um, I for my family, we also gather on an annual basis for Lunar New Year and Mid Autumn Moon Festival. I feel like that's a thing that's like kind of the easiest is just to push for those two markers a year, um, if it's possible and your family's closer, uh, visit them. You know, I've I my parents are about an hour away, and I try to make it out there every like. Maybe every other week or so, and similar to Helen's suggestion of asking them to just ask them about you know your family or if we have uh, what was it like when they grew up here or what was you know the period of their college years like or whatever it might be. Um, But another way that I found is pretty easy to engage with them is whenever I come home, I'm sure some of you listeners can relate. My parents are always watching Chinese news right? Or they have a soap opera on or something. But there is something going on that allows you to ask some questions. Like I'll be like, oh, where's that? Or who is that? Or what's happening? And I find that when I do that, it starts a topic and a conversation. And my dad loves like history. He loves Chinese history. So I just ask him, I just say one thing and he can go on and on. Um, and my mom loves sharing like her food and supplement routines that are rooted in Chinese food therapy. So a lot of the time it's just poking with questions and then knowing the things that they like to talk about and kind of skewing it towards your culture. Mm, those are good. So for me, like reading books that are kind of rooted
2: in your culture or like maybe the book is kind of like a, an adaptation of like a live events that happen for me, like in Taiwan. So like I read... Um, The Great Island, and I thought it was really informative. And then after reading that, I wanted to, like, ask my family more questions about the history. And Did they go to the similar things? Um, Like you both said, talk to family members. I feel like I always ask my mom and my uncle so many questions. But one thing I started doing is, um, like, to be completely honest, like, I talk to my grandpa every few months on the phone when he's in Taiwan, and I always felt a little awkward because my Mandarin isn't the best. Our level of proficiency is kind of hard for me to communicate, and I think after a while you're like, you feel uncomfortable you're like okay i I said my hello 10 minutes i'm gonna hang up now but i started to challenge myself to be like you know what mel like practice your chinese like really just start asking questions and it might take you a while to kind of get your your message across but spend that time to just like ask and practice the language and i think i learned a lot through that process just like i'm gonna just instead of being comfortable and be like okay bye call you later but i just like try to stay on the phone as long as i can to have that conversation um another thing my family loves to do is like eating in authentic restaurants like whenever a new taiwanese restaurant pops up it is shared on our group chat with our whole family it's like oh my god this new one opened in newark or something and so we're like oh let's go do it together um another thing i would love uh, i would encourage that i personally had the opportunity to do is like if now that borders are opening up too it's to visit your motherland, to see where your family has come from, like, to walk the streets they did, to see where they grew up. It just puts, a, puts like, everything into perspective for you because, like, you hear these stories, you know, through the dinner table, but to see them and to see your family members walk the elementary school or to see where they grew up, it just, like, it just shifts everything for you. And for me, it creates this uh, greater sense of, like, yes, I am going to, like, remember this so I can pass this down to my family. So there's a couple things my family does and what i do to kind of stay in touch
0: with my asian roots i like the the challenging yourself to have conversations with your grandpa i highly respect that because i i get so nervous on the phone when it's like, awkward yeah all i can say is like if i call them to wish them happy birthday and i'm like i ah, don't know how else to respond but um yeah i think to your point like who cares they don't care if you have perfect english i mean even if you speak to them in english i think they'll enjoy it right so they'll try oh, yeah that's good yeah Uh, Our final question comes from a listener who is wondering if we have ever felt uncomfortable or even scared that so many people know us. I put, I said sometimes. I think
2: overall, I actually find a lot of joy when I like connect with people that like listen to our podcast and be able to have like deep conversations. I think just the content of the stuff we talk about when I meet a listener, it feels like I, there's a familiar feeling between the both of us. It's like always like, I already met you kind of feeling, but I think sometimes I do feel un- there was a period I felt really uncomfortable because I just felt really antisocial. I think it was during the pandemic where it's like, I kind of just wanted to be in my own little bubble and shell. And so I would get nervous when I would go grocery shopping in an area where I know like probably a lot of Asians were there. And I'm just like, oh, I, I, I see the, do I know you face? And I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm just not in the mental space to have a conversation. And the thing is, it's just more like, I don't want to come off rude but I know mentally I'm just, I'm just here to like get in and out of the store sometimes. So I think for me, I'm always thinking like, I want to be present when I see someone, I want to have a good conversation. So I think sometimes I get nervous or uncomfortable when I know I'm not in the mental state to be in that place. And that's when I feel sometimes
1: uncomfortable. Um,
2: but yeah, here's about both your responses to this.
1: Yeah, I would say for me, a little bit yes and no also. I think the issue of privacy is always questionable once you start becoming a public face and posting about your whereabouts. I remember when we first started with Agent Boss Girl, like our friend Ki Hong was very much like, you posted your apartment and I see where your window is facing and someone's going to come find you and you got to be careful about that stuff. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I got to be hella careful about this stuff. Um, And I think I am still a very private person, but I selectively share whatever it is that I want to share online. It's not like it's all out there, but... I generally think our listeners, all of you out there, are good and solid people and hopefully I'm not just like being too naive there, but it's not I I don't think we attract a lot of crazies or haters. So because of that, I'm not as worried or scared. If anything, I like like Mel was saying that we can connect on something and I can feel close to you all because you know me um when we do meet in person one day so as of right now i think the scale of abg is still manageable and when we meet people that know us in person it's always been respectful so hopefully it just hopefully it stays that way yeah Mm -hmm. what about for you jay
0: yeah i think i'm also a rather um optimistic person who assumes the best of everyone and maybe sometimes that uh, might be considered a little naive um so I yeah I just I kind of share so openly but I know like within my family my mom uh gets worried a lot and um I think some of it is just you know, being like um, an immigrant person that comes to a new country, there's a lot of just the way that we grew up where she's focused so much on privacy and um, she's told me numerous times, especially once we started doing YouTube when she can see Mm -hmm. the videos, uh, I think there was one time where we did like um, a focus on like what's in our bags or something and she saw that and she like messaged me right away and was like, oh my gosh, why would you show your purse and your bag on screen? Now people are gonna like see that and they're gonna find you and take, I don't, it's just like the, 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 I understand now, like, the way that she is so cautious. Like, I'm just so like, oh, people would never do that. But, you know, I think, yeah, I do need to be more mindful about that. Um, as you ladies both said, that sometimes you just never know. Um, but when it comes to, like, walking around on the streets and being recognized, I it doesn't ever scare me. In fact, like both of you shared, it truly, like, I find it incredibly meaningful. And I love when people come up and share, like, what it was that they connect with and share their personal perspective. Um, Engaging in conversation with our listeners is one of my favorite things. So yeah, I love it as long as you're not stalking me.
2: Well, thank you so much for attending our first session of office hours. We hope you're able to take away something beneficial and helpful. Um, Our office hours will be opened. Uh, We will share the time frames for that later. I'm really trying to play the part of a teacher assistant right now. I'm trying to like, what did my teacher assistant say in college? But thank you so much to those that submitted questions to, to us individually and us collectively. This is really fun to kind of see what you guys are curious about in terms of asking us.
0: Before we
1: end today, we want to let you all know that we've started new mini podcast shows that now release every Tuesday. Tune in to K-Dreaming
2: with Mel, Living Well with Janet,
0: and Spill the Baby Tea with Helen. Each week we'll release a new episode from one of the shows right here on the Asian Boss Girl feed. So be sure to tune in to us on Tuesdays and Thursdays from now
2: on like to send a shout out to a friend check out our link tree in our link in bio and click on shout outs and last but not least thank you to our super talented editor michelle for working all her magic on our episodes including this one and with that we'll catch you all in the next episode Bye. bye